0: Good afternoon, Sarah Heffler. Is that what time it is, Nancy
1: Rommelman? I just I, woke up from a nap. I'm freaking confused.
0: I know what time it is. Uh, it is afternoon. It's three o'clock, a little after, 3.20 here in New York, something like that. 3.20 um, in the morning? 3.20 in the afternoon. I was up yeah. at uh, 3.20 in the morning reading dystopian sci-fi. I don't know about you, but that's what I do at 3.20 in the morning.
1: I was up at 4.30 this morning, and um, you know the the. Time change has really helped out my schedule. I'm not waking up at three thirty. I'm waking up at four thirty, so you oh. can say it's very normal now. It's really put me back on track. But I have to take a nap at some point during the day, so I did that like twenty minutes before we were supposed to meet, and I got that like just enough sleep that I feel like I napped, but like not a, like, but I feel ferociously robbed.
0: Well, um, I'm I, I think. I may have mentioned in, on this podcast, I'm one of those lucky people that can take 12 minute naps and wake up feeling just ready to go and always hungry, but I haven't been able to do that um, this week. It's been a really busy week and will continue to be a busy week, um, including doing a whole lot of writing about Portland, which seems to be what I write about these days, and, uh, and trying to get our podcast out to the world, though. I think there was a little, a little glitch, which you noticed, weirdly, I, I would never have known. Good
1: night. The technological problems in my life are almost pushing me to get a boyfriend.
0: Wait, what? Is it like, is it vibrator related problems or? (laughs) I'm also having
1: those, but I'm not even going to mention it. Did I tell you that I deleted my phone last week? What? Yeah, it was the most, I got a new iPhone. Because I had this old, crappy old iPhone that was always too full. And so I got a new iPhone. And you have to, like, delete your old iPhone so that the new one can live. And it wouldn't delete, and it wouldn't delete. And then I accidentally switched them in my hands, and I deleted it. And it was like, erase everything, including the SIM card? And I was like, yeah. And then, and then it started and I was like, wait, this is the wrong, no, stop it, stop it. And, um, but it was too late. And so it wouldn't work for, you know, like a day and a half. I had to go to AT&T and get them to download my SIM card again. It It was an absolute disaster.
0: So how many people's phone numbers do you know by heart? And I'm not talking about the, like your, Mine. when you were sick in sixth grade, like I can name my friends phone numbers from when they were in sixth grade. But in terms of now, how many I know by heart, my mother's, my husband's, my daughter's, and that might be it. And yeah. my own, my own, I guess.
1: I don't know anybody's. I know, um, my parents landline. Yeah, and then I know my college best friend's phone number that she's had for like fifteen years.
0: Oh yeah, I like I said, I can name my my two girlfriends I grew up with. I can name both of their uh, their phone numbers from when they were kids.
1: So those are my calls from jail, just because I don't know any <laughs> other numbers.
0: We were at a dinner the other night with some of my homegirls, my girl, my friends from grade school, and there was this beautiful. I think we used it in one of the show notes. This beautiful stained glass um, Brooklyn Bridge that my friend's dad who just passed away had made, he was a doctor, but he just liked to do stained glass. It's actually incredible. I'll put it in the show notes. And um, my Do not girls,
1: say that if you're not going to put it in the show notes. I am going to put it
0: in the show notes. There's one of us that glass. does
1: that, like listens to this before it goes out. And then there's another one that doesn't. And the one that does is always having to clean up after the one that's like, we'll put it in the show notes. We'll put it in the show notes. We'll put it in the show notes. I'm like, good night at 4.30 in the morning. How many things do I have to find that I can't, put, I don't know what I'm talking about. Anyway,
0: my friend was looking at the Brooklyn Bridge and she was talking about how when she was like 15, she scaled like those, the the wires going up, the big like cords and she was scaling it with like a bunch of dudes, our friends, because she was such a little toughie and they got arrested. And she's like, and of course I didn't call my mother. I called Nancy's mother to come get me out of jail. That's funny. Yeah. Um,
1: That's really funny. Well, can I just explain because I never got around to the fact that like you know, for some reason our episode didn't show up on Apple podcasts. Right. The latest episode about the Oscars. And so it's like, sometimes you just have to burp the baby. You have to like yeah. burp the yeah. baby a little bit more than you normally would. So I, I just published a, another, like I did another, pu- uh, a, a totally free episode with just the preview. And, and that's why you got two, Episodes of the of Oscars of of inclusion, Ozempic, and the American Dream,
0: and I think it's it's actually important because um, Substack is super cool. It's one; of, it's a really transparent platform. You can like see how much how many people are subscribing, how many free subscribers, paid subscribers and where your traffic is coming from. And apparently 57% of our listeners come from Apple. So if you don't have 57 of 100 of your listeners, that's, that's, that's a lot. Plus, you know, we wanted to make it timely. Anyway, you should have it now. Obviously you're going to be listening to this way later. Um, so So I
1: went to our, I went to our Apple, um, like reviews today. That was really interesting. We have 81 reviews.
0: People seem to like, I, I, actually, I never even really ever thought to look at reviews. Um, cause we have a, I have a YouTube channel. I, there's a couple of different podcasts up there. There's, I used to do a podcast with Matt Welch bingo and uh and um ask a jew does their podcast and she was talking about her reviews i'm like oh, i never thought to, li- to look at our reviews i don't even remember if matt and i had any we do have a troll over on uh, youtube which is fun congratulations like, every time we put something up he <laughs> kind of just completely like oh gee 70 views you must be surprised <laughs> whatever i'm like hi how are you i'll make you some cookies. i thought that was a funny
1: joke when i said it oh wait what? it's not really me that the joke was that oh, it was me. Oh, see, it's that not was...
0: good girl. But anyway, I did, um, for the, for the hell of it, I did look at our reviews and I'm just going to say on the record right here, there is one popular person on this podcast and it's not me. Stop it. No, it's true. The only complaints that people had that I saw, cause most of the reviews are just lovely and sweet. And you know, they're really trying to see sweet things, but the two or three people that were like really not happy they they love you sarah and they just need they want just want to kick me to the curb somebody
1: described you as like fox adjacent
0: fox adjacent (laughs) defending old white men or something i I
1: always think of you that way i'm gonna make a trophy for you
0: (laughs) number one old white men defender made me
1: so fucking proud of you
0: oh thanks uh well one of us has to do it so um speaking of fox so um I don't really watch Fox, I'll watch Kennedy every once in a while because Kennedy is a friend. And I also have friends that appear on it sometimes on, on John the John F. Kennedy. Kennedy Kennedy, Lisa Kennedy. Um, or whatever her real name is. And um, but uh uh Wimsat, Andrew Wimsat who uh is great and makes our clips for us, he did send me a couple they're they're really talking about Portland lately, I gotta say, and you know, you know, part of it is kind of predictable. It's like, well, there's bad stuff happening in Portland and Portland was super liberal. So it's a super, it's a target they want to hit. And you know, there is some kind of reasoning uh behind it, but he didn't send me a couple of clips in the past couple of days. They've also done, I think some pretty, I think some pretty valuable work in the past couple of days. Hope, um, uh, looking at the homeless situation and the drug situation, which is really bad. It's actually really bad. Not like, Oh, you think it's bad because you're Fox adjacent. No, it's, it's actually really bad. And um, I'm going back out there next month and I will get my eyeballs on it. Myself, but maybe I'll link one of the, um, one of the more moving videos that I saw that they produced last week and they produced it. Actually, there's it a friend of mine who produced it. Um, she used to be with a local station. She's now with, I guess, the Fox affiliate in the Northwest. And, um, it's really food for thought, especially for me, obviously, since I keep, um, writing about this stuff, but I, you know, one thing you do actually do clean up, you listen to the episodes, you make them, but there is one person that takes notes as we record these and that would be me. So I'm making a note to put that video.
1: Yeah. You, okay. you do, you do, you do great notes. You do yeah, a lot yeah, of work yeah. around here. Yeah, we're yeah, a good yeah, team. Yeah. yeah.
0: Okay. Um,
1: I wanted to say something about homeless people because I was in Galveston last week and um, you know, cause I'm, we're dating and um <laughs> so I have a smoking diary coming out this Friday that it'll be out by the time this episode is out and it's about hauntings. It's about ghosts, but also like dating and um it's, it's, It's really, I think it's a it's a good one. But, you know, the second morning that I was there and I wasn't making a smoking diary, I was outside and I got to talking to this guy who was homeless. He's thirty-five years old, he'd just been out of prison. His name was Aaron, and he sat down and we just talked for about thirty minutes and it was just fascinating. You know, he's just this kid that grew up in East Texas, got on the wrong side of the tracks, he wanted to be a musician. Um, I've looked at his rap sheet since coming back and, you know, a lot of it's like illegal carrying of firearms, which just like, how can you bust somebody in Texas for that? Like...
0: I have no idea. I mean, or is it, it's not illegal to carry, I guess, but maybe if you're a felon, I have no idea.
1: Yeah, probably so. And also 10 years ago, we didn't have open carry. So like he's 35 and he gets busted for the first time at 25. And if you know anything about the prison system, like you just, it's kind of like a spin cycle. Like you get in and you kind of, it's really hard to keep getting out. I asked him, uh, what was the hardest part about being in prison? Do you know what he said? I mean, do you have any guesses what he would say? The food? Yeah. Well, close. He said starvation. And I said, but don't they feed you? And he was like, Yeah, but when you get punished, you don't, and it's really hard.
0: Oh man, yeah, they. I mean, they do terrible things in prisons. I mean, they. Yeah, they
1: and or- and and then I said, uh, What would is the one thing you would do to change the prison system? Do you want to guess that one?
0: That there would be more for them to do to occupy themselves. It's
1: close. It's actually get paid for your work. So they do a lot of unpaid labor. You know, this is what the premise of 13th is about. The
0: um, What's 13th?
1: It's a documentary by Anna DuVernay that kind of looks at how the 13th Amendment, which outlawed slavery, then sort of found new life in the prison system. And it's based on The New Jim Crow, which is a book. That I haven't read, but people get really fired up about and they're, you know, it's, it's a little bit more of a racialized critique than what I just said. So it basically says that, you know, like the prison industrial complex is, is de facto slavery because, um, I mean, it's pretty salty, but you know, and, and this guy was white. Oh my gosh. He was so cute too. Oh, and he sang me a Blake Shelton song. Oh,
0: so he had a guitar.
1: No, he sang it, just okay. sang it. We were okay. just sitting there and he just sang it to me. And then when we were going, um, I, he didn't have a blanket and I, I said, oh, I think I have one in my car. So we went to my car. I didn't have a blanket, but I had a bath mat. So he took my bath oh.
0: mat. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> and then, uh, I was saying goodbye to him and he, he danced with me in the, in the parking lot. Mm-hmm. He spun me around and he pulled me to him and he rocked me back and forth. And it was so sweet. And very non-threatening. I mean, you know, this was not like, oh my God, this felon is, you know, it was so obvious that this very sweet young man who was probably very troubled, um, was starved for a woman's touch
0: and starved for, for touch or conversation. I, I tend to talk to everybody anyway. And obviously I'm probably not going to strike up a conversation with someone who's, you know, raving mad. Um, but I will say I, Pretty much try to say good morning or how are you to everybody that I see that looks kind of down and out. Maybe they're asking you for a dollar or something. And I was walking uh, up from the subway platform the other day and there was a guy and he was sitting and he's kind of like, he's asking for money. I didn't have any cash or anything, but I I was like, he's like, Hey, I was like, Hey, how are you? And I was wearing kind of a pretty blue, kind of a feminine hat. And was, he's like, Hey, nice hat. And it's just like, they just you a little moment of communion, a little moment. I mean, maybe I'm, maybe I'm projecting, maybe they don't care about this at all. But I, I, I think, People do. I think they want to still feel like human beings. And the further you, you sort of get from a day to day life, um, I think the less people want to look at you like you're human and then they become scared and they don't have a human touch. Um, I wrote a book, a little novel a number of years ago called The Bad Mother. And there's a character in there who he's homeless, but he's, his, his situation is sort of declining. And at a certain point, I, you know, this is obviously just fiction. It's out of my brain. But there's just a certain point where you, where he realized he couldn't be part of the other world anymore. He'd like passed something. And um, it was just kind of heartbreaking anyway.
1: so One of the reasons that Aaron came to mind was because um, I asked him why he wasn't asleep. It was uh, about 4.30, as I said. I guess it was about five o'clock when he sat down with me. I said, why aren't you sleeping right now? And he said, it's scary to sleep at night. Oh, of course. Of course. And I, he said, I sleep during the day because it's, it's, you know, in Galveston, especially there's not, you know, this is something that I talk about in the smoking diary. You know, there is not a huge homeless population. So I was walking on the street and I passed a body. And when you see one homeless person, it's freaking scary. And it's weird how like one person can be so much scarier than if you pass like 20 because if you pass oh, yeah. 20 there's like context for it it's like oh there this is a homeless community but if you pass one person you're like is this a dead body like mm-hmm. you don't know what's going on and so there was this one person that i passed and you know it was really scary cuz it was very deserted in the middle of the night and um you know he was saying yeah it's it's he he'd had a truck um but it was stolen while he was in prison so anyway so he doesn't have a truck anymore and um but he's got a bath mat now
0: providing what protection we can Sarah Hepla so Sarah Hepla I think you uh I'm not exactly sure what we want to talk about today but I think you do have some letters that we have been threatening to read
1: What's the letters theme song I think it's like um Letters and Soda That's one or it's Letters and Soda Dear
0: Mr Postman mm-hmm.
1: Oh yeah that's cute that's too The Carpenters
0: right it's more Carpenters That's so. not
1: Carpenters yeah, Dear Mr Postman is like Motown
0: no, not the one I'm singing. Oh, maybe okay. there's a Motown one too, but yeah. Okay. If we're so, doing a Dear Mr.
1: Postman song, we're doing a Motown Dear Mr. Postman.
0: Okay. Okay. We're
1: doing like a hot jam that you can I do like, like
0: letters I do like letters and soda. Too. I think we did that last so, time.
1: Maybe yeah, that's we, just we, our letters theme song.
0: Okay. Letters so, and soda
1: is a line from Liz Fair's Fucking Run, which is one of the first things that Nancy and I discovered that we had in common was that we both loved Liz Fair.
0: Mhm. Though I came to her very late. I was not a fan yeah, of her when she first came out. I was like, oh yeah, this Liz Fair, I heard of her. Obviously she was kind of a phenom, but I didn't until I, I don't know, actually like three or four years ago. And then my daughter and I went to see her play, which was great at the New Yorker, uh, festival. And she gave a talk. She sat on stage and talked for about 45 minutes with, or was being interviewed and then she jammed and it was, she was great. She was really great actually. Oh, and speaking of great, Lana Del Rey has a new album that came out this week. <gasps>
1: My yep, goddess.
0: Yep, yep, yep. When I was so, walking around
1: Galveston, I was listening to Norman fucking Rockwell. I was on repeat. listening to that yesterday. I was Thanks. listening
0: to that yesterday. Wow. Like girl. Mariner's
1: Apartment.
0: Mariner's Apartment Complex. Oh my, oh god. my god. It's so good. Oh and it was
1: just like <gasps> so on repeat. And then I was listening to, um, Fuck It I Love You. And it uh, just, and the greatest, like I just, oh, that song, the music is good so album.
0: good. It's such a good album. All um, right.
1: Well, we don't know what we're going to use, but we've, we've got some music up in this bitch. Well, every podcast has letters. <laughs> I'm going to work on this intro. Yeah. Um, I just woke up from this nap. I'm so sleepy.
0: I'm so sleepy.
1: Um, we have letters. We have letters that people and listeners have written to us. Here's what I think, Nancy. Here's what I think, and I'm going to throw it at you. I think we make this episode open to everyone so they can hear what they're missing. Yeah, sure. Why not? Okay. So we're flinging open the doors to our boudoir right now.
0: I'm opening my negligee. Do it again. Oh, God. (laughs)
1: ridiculous you will get arrested
0: <laughs> okay you, what'd you say about my i did a tweet today that said my my entire apartment building smells like bacon and i'm about to bake a chocolate cake what did you say stop speaking in metaphors <laughs> anyway okay you're go ahead. dirty uh, stop
1: sexting me I you're am, sexting I'm, me I'm on sexting. twitter so i know i know what you're saying <laughs> i know exactly what you're saying and i i'm i smell what you're cooking okay Um, okay, but we really do have letters. I've, I've been collecting these for weeks now. And, you know, we're going to make this a regular thing. This will normally be a premium subscriber only podcast, but for this time, we're flinging open the doors and everyone can play and listen. And this is what happens when you become a paid subscriber. You get, you get ushered in to our boudoir. So we're gonna start with a little bit of a sexy question, actually. This is from the comments section. You know, our comments are our listeners are our subscribers only. Somebody put on Instagram the other day I couldn't comment on your on your podcast and I wanted to be like, thanks for paying.
0: Pony up, dude. (laughs) Yeah. Thanks for trying to
1: freeload, buddy. Really appreciate your support. And I do, of course. This is uh in reference to, you know, last week we talked about the Michael Irvin uh debacle, the yep. Dallas cow Michael Irvin of the Dallas Cowboys, who I, I erroneously called a, I think I called him a wide receiver and he's a running back, or maybe it's the other way. He's a running back and I called him a wide receiver. Let me be honest. I've got this on a, a different episode to correct because I don't know what it is right now. I'm very bad on football. But Robin... From our comment section has a germane question for us. She says Troy Aikman, who's the former uh cowboys quarterback, has always been on my celebrity sex list. would love to know who's on yours and nancy's celebrity sex list
0: to, Tr- Troy Aikman is, is a handsome guy uh i'm he's not on my celebrity can I say he's also really
1: nice I met him. I went to oh, a cool. launch for his um he has his own boutique beer company called eight. And like, I, you know how, like I always want to ask questions mm-hmm. and, um, I really came so close during that conference to uh, raising my hand and saying, why is it called eight? And then that would have been like the most embarrassing question ever. Cause that's his number on the field. And every oh, other boy. person in that room knew that, but I had the good sense to shut the hell up. And I, it was a, really amazing day though, because I ended up talking to all these former football players that I didn't know were big deals. Like a guy named Daryl Moose Johnson. I sat down next to because he would just look bored. And then we ended up talking for like 30 minutes and he's like the coolest guy. And uh, I have this cute picture of the two of us. And I finally figured out who he was. And I was like, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know you were a legend. And he was like, "It's cool."
0: (laughs) I didn't know you were a legend. I had no
1: idea. I had no idea. I don't know who these guys are. You can't tell who's a, who's like a friggin' lawyer and who's a, you know, a Hall of Famer. I don't think he is a Hall of Famer, but he should be in the Hall of Fame. He was Emmett Smith's, you know, um, you know, guy. When, when Emmett Smith got in the Hall of Fame, he got up there and thanked Daryl and, and, you know, he's just a oh, also good looking guy, silver fox. And his wife was just like, what the fuck are you doing? She didn't actually say that. She she actually just was like, um, hi. And you are? And I was like, I'm sorry. I'm, you're sick of this. Your husband gets hit on everywhere you go. So I'm going to leave now. So anyway, um, why was I telling you this story? Because I met Troy Aikman, who is a fucking Adonis. I mean, he's like six foot... A million. He's really tall for a quarterback. And, uh, I said. And also said,
0: because he's Robin's sex fantasy. Yeah, that's Isn't right. Is that how this started?
1: That's how this whole thing started. Okay. And then, uh, I go, Hey, I'm wondering if you would consider doing a non-alcoholic line of eight beer. And he said, Yes, I'm talking to somebody about that oh, right cool. now. And I said, Awesome. And he said, Okay, bye. And okay. Then that was the end of the conversation, <laughs> but it was really, Really awesome, and I have a friend who used to date him, and and she tells me all sorts of stories about him. It's fascinating. I love knowing all the cheerleaders. By the way, it gives me the inside scoop.
0: Okay, so are you going to spill who's your uh, who's your celebrity? I mean, does it have to be sex? Can it just be crush? Can it be hand holding? Okay, up? is
1: this like the I don't want it to be a milf. I want it to be a milk. So it's this an, is the celebrity an... kiss list. Yes, exactly. this is celebrities <laughs> it... I'd like to kiss. Silk.
0: Chilk. Chilk. We should just, you should tell them why. well, milk means because when I first heard the term MILF, I said to my daughter, why can't they just call it milk, mothers? I'd like to kiss, which... Is now following me around, especially giving pleasure to Sarah Hepla. Um, okay, giving I'll, so much pleasure. I'll start. Can I tell
1: you that yeah. it's very cute how you are the funniest combination of like prude and feisty broad. Like you're just the I can never predict which one's going to come out.
0: Yay, my plan is working. Yeah, your no, plan is working. Um, I have. Okay, I'll tell you the only one that came to mind, and it's it's don't real- say
1: Timothy Chalamet.
0: Ew, no, my god, he's like twelve. I I have so many friends of
1: mine that are really hot for him and I'm like, do you realize he's like five foot two?
0: No. Okay. So here's, I'm going to explain why before I get to this. This person to me is very handsome and sexy. He's tall. He's really smart and he's not anybody that would do things the way you think that they would. And it's Sam Shepard. That's who I would say. Oh, good
1: Lord. That's a good one.
0: Well, come on. I deserve the best, right? So... No, he's great, I mean, and and you can just imagine like
1: you're not gonna just kiss him. You're not. You're not. Oh, I might. Not, I mean, gonna, well, you're not first gonna of all, just all kiss him. First of you're all, you're gonna he's dead. do more. You're gonna go farther. Oh,
0: for sure. But I mean, he's he's dead. Rest in peace. Um, I have oh, to. Oh, that does throw a wrench in the plans. It does a little wrench in the plans. I have to so highly recommend one of his last books, which I'm forgetting the name of right now, and I'm not in front of something where I can look. But it's a narration. It's narrated by Bill Pullman, the actor. I listened to it on tape. I believe Patti Smith wrote, wrote the intro and it is so unbelievably fantastic. I apologize for not remembering the name. It's not let the right one in. That's that really cool, um, that scary, is a cool, scary.
1: Yeah.
0: That's that scary Scandinavian yeah, film.
1: It's um, good. it's
0: something like that, but it's so, so good. Um, he's always good. He's always interesting. He's always properly intolerant. One of the, I read one of his books mm. of like little short, um, vignette stories years and years ago. And I remember this one line. He's like, you know, when you're driving uh, in the, through the night and someone needs to puke, you just turn up the radio. It's like, that's right. You know what? Let's just go. And so anyway, yes, you are right. I would definitely do more then just kiss him who knows if we'd even kiss before we got to other things but i think you're just
1: gonna like start by having a taking a shower together
0: Or just driving i just want to get just want to drive with him let's just drive so that's that's who i mine would be
1: well that really raised the bar for me um you know it's funny that this this question gets you know brought up a lot in conversation and things like that and so you know just for for shits and giggles i'll tell you that like a lot of the, the, my crushes are people like, like Oscar Isaac and Adam Driver and Pedro Pascal. And, um, you know, I like Ryan Gosling. Like these are all guys that I think are really hot. Sam Rockwell, I think, is really hot. But when you said Sam Shepard, it made me realize that, like, I do need a bit more gravity to whoever I'm going to kiss. Um, and I need somebody that's got, like, the battle scars of experience. You know, I do tend to go for the younger men, but in this case in particular, I'm going to go against hype and I'm going to choose someone I've spoken about before on the podcast. Someone I think is the greatest character actor of his generation, Bobby De Niro.
0: Oh, I, I have no problem with that. No problem with that. I, was, I thought you were going to say Keanu Reeves.
1: <laughs> no, no, I love Keanu Reeves, but A, he's not a good actor, and B, he doesn't seem oh, sexual to me. Oh,
0: hi, John Wick. You don't watch John Wick? No. Oh, Sarah Hepla. Oh, oh, man, you got to see these films. They are so much fun. Look, I will just tell you there are twenty thousand bullets, but it's so good. They are so I think there's been three and I think there's a fourth one coming up. Anyway, it's the role he should be playing for the rest of his life and will play for the rest of his it's life. Probably the
1: only role he can play. I mean I love the guy, but like he's not a good actor. He's not a natively good actor. And it's I you know, he's him. gorgeous. He's absolutely gorgeous. You go back to Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, which is a movie that I loved. And he's just, you know, just such a goofball, but he's so cute. Um but you know he just he cannot Really doesn't have the nuance in his face. And even, you know, he always seems like he's trying too hard. So, you know, like I will watch John Wick, uh, eventually. Um, maybe it just premiered at South by Southwest and everybody was fired up about that. Um, somebody proposed in the crowd. You know, Keanu Reeves is, is, um, dating an older woman, like a, like a really, like, looks like an older woman. She's got like gray hair and, I don't know. The internet loves it because, you know, they don't look like – she doesn't look like a typical person that you would choose. And I do think, you know, didn't he lose
0: his fiance. He's had a bit of a tragic thing. So I – Yeah. He was – so my daughter's best friend at the time, her dad, shot The Matrix series. And um Tavi actually went over when she was a little girl to Australia where they were doing some filming. And in any case, she had met Keanu a bunch of times, I guess. But the dad, Bill Pope, the DP, was pretty good friends with Keanu. And they both were oneophiles. They loved wine and they would sit and talk wine. During I've literally
1: this, never heard that word said out loud before.
0: Uh, I don't know if I pronounced it correctly. I don't it's know not that a word I use uh, that often. But um I, during this time, I believe it was around this time or just after, uh, Keanu Reeves did have a fiance and she was pregnant and she died. And obviously the baby died with her too. How did she die? I don't know. It's, I really don't, I don't know. It's, and I think, you know, this is interesting, Sarah, you know, everybody's life, if they're famous and if they're, I don't know if they're publicists think it's a good idea or if they want it to be a good idea, their entire lives are just, they're like slit from, you know, crotch to neck and just everything inside is shown on the, in the tabloids or in the paper. And then other people you just don't hear about. And I think, you know, Keanu Reeves, I, from what I know of him, which is basically nothing, but a little bit because of the connection, I just said, he's a private person. And so this is not something that he would want, you know, out there and it's also just tragic. Same with
1: Robert De Niro. I mean I think there's a reason why we chose the people that we did, you know, because they're not the Brad Pitts and the, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio's and the and the people that just you know everything about them and the sort of mystery has dissipated.
0: Well I think people that want to keep their private lives private do. Um And then, but a lot of actors, hello, they're, they're in the acting business. One of the things that they want in court is, is fame. And there's ways to do that. I remember my, my, my sister-in-law who used to write a lot of celebrity stuff. She said, you know, those pictures when you see on like, or this, she may have not said that she wrote it in a book that she wrote that was fiction. Um When you see like on the cover of like, the star tabloid in the in the in the supermarket and it's got celebrities on the beach and you could see their cellulite like there's arrows pointing cellulite, at their cellulite. yeah cellulite she says you know p- celebrities even pay to have that done like they even want that kind of publicity. oh shit no
1: way no way no <laughs> so, way
0: i don't know so, i believe it i believe
1: some like, of them would
0: like that's like that's the right. yeah oh anyway all right next question okay the next letter
1: uh, this came in a few weeks ago, so this is in in you know this is going to be in relation to a podcast we did on Roll Doll or Raul Doll or however the f you spell it, I mean s- pronounce it. Okay. Yep. So this is from someone who goes by the name Nick from the UK. Okay. Yep. I'm not going to do his accent. I'm not going to try to do this accent. Okay. Hello. I love your podcasts. You both have amazing voices as the capacity to rant fluently. Quite the combination. Gormless is indeed a great word, and I hope you are instrumental in introducing it to America. P.S. I think we are. I think it's clear. If you look at the traffic for the word gormless, it's going to start with Matt Welch, and then it's going to go straight to us, and we've pretty much... That word has taken over America.
0: I, we should just mention the reason I I mentioned it on the podcast is we were talking about the former editor at the LA Times and the New York Times, Dean Becket, who Matt always calls the gormless Dean Becket. It's so that's how that, that's how that got there. Okay. Continue.
1: Okay. So he says, you're right. It's spineless, stupid, and also visual, a lack of expressiveness on the face. You can look gormless as well as be gormless. Rodney Trotter from Only Fools and Horses is the physical embodiment of Gormless. What oh. is that? What's Rodney Trotter from Only Fools and Horses? He's British.
0: It's some British thing like treacle and biscuits.
1: It's so biscuits and treacle right there. <laughs> that is so like, oh, the, the, the wild ones on CBC.
0: So what's, what's the name again? So I can find a picture of this dude. Rodney Trotter. Rodney Trotter.
1: From Only Fools and Horses. Alright. Only Fools and Horses sounds like a, a uh, cowboy, like a, like a country song. And Rodney Trotter just sounds like. Hi, Trotter. Anyway. Yeah, doesn't sound right. Okay, he says, I thought Roll Doll is pronounced pretty much as it's spelled. Roll, rolled. It's W. No, he's, he, he writes it. R-O-W-L-L-E-D. Rowled? Rowled?
0: Yeah, Rowled. Rather than Rowled. Yeah.
1: You live for this kind of feedback, right? Yes. (laughs) We do. You're right, Nick, from the UK. Nick. Um, He goes on to say, what is an MFA? Good for him. Master of Fine Arts. Why are they kicking off? How? I don't even know what that's in reference to. We must have said...
0: I was saying we were talking about how um a lot of the complaints about some particular something or other was not really from journalists or media it was from more like mfa types. Yeah.
1: They're kicking off. Yeah. They're gormless and they're kicking off. Just like Rodney Trotter in the in the great epic only fools and horses. Um he says, my hitherto favorite podcaster, just by the way, favorite had a U in it. Of course. I'm gonna, we're gonna charge him for extra U's. Adam Buxton. Adam Buxton. Oh, you know Adam Buxton. What? Oh, uh, Adam. <laughs> Adam. Was he on Only Fools and Horses? The only apparently the only accident how to do is to sound like an old lady from Monty Python. Monty Python, <laughs> or she a she witch. <laughs> with Adam Buxton, okay, has taken most of this year off. Gormless, and he didn't say that. And you have become my new favorites with a U favorites.
0: This is very, very. I mean, seriously, Sarah. There were how many? Two million podcasts.
1: He only knew two though, because he's in Britain. He only yeah. knew us and Adam Buxton, and okay. Buxton kicked off, yeah. so we, it left us. <laughs> well, anyway, okay. this poor, this poor guy is watching only fools and horses all day long. <laughs> And he doesn't know how to use Wikipedia to figure out MFA. So it's, it's, it's this Uh, word. We're, we're his only portal to the
0: world. We're going to take what we can get, Sarah. Okay. So, uh,
1: you have become my new favorites. I'm quite sure lots of people publish audio missives from the culture war frontline, but I don't think many people do it with such accomplished ease. Oh, Mm. was that, was that what you call it? uh best sign off ever last line i must go there's an enormous pigeon in my garden
0: the best the best that's that's my favorite sign off i'm gonna use that from now on i must go do you think that was true yes i do because he's british and i have doves that look like pigeons on my uh fire escape or also known as sarah's smoking porch um what did you see when you came and visited me you're like can i can I sit out on that porch? I was like,
1: on the, on, on the patio, on the pat- balcony. No, I, I said the balcony. balcony,
0: the balcony. Can I sit out on the balcony? I was like, yes, in on the East coast, we call them fire escapes, but yes, if, if you'd like to call that, refer to that as a balcony, you're perfectly welcome to. So yeah, they're out there now. When you're here, you're going to be sharing. I'm, I'm sure they're, you actually might not be able to sit out there with them because they will have already probably laid their eggs and then you I'll be very
1: gentle I mean they
0: they they rise up they they take their little dove body and they open it up they try to look as big as a basketball because they're protecting their young mm-hmm. it's not a good thing you're going to have to we'll have to send you downstairs sorry
1: we'll break open another window
0: yeah oh, we'll see all right okay uh- Then,
1: you know, yours, Nick from the UK. Um, there is a PS here is the only way of hearing the extended episodes on my phone via the Substack app. No worries if that's the case, but I'm rather attached to Spotify's interface. This is actually a problem I have too, because I like app. I like to listen to podcasts on my Apple playlist on my Apple interface and you cannot listen to extended episodes. Like if I want to listen to blocked and reported or, uh, fifth column, I have to go. Into Substack and sometimes with fifth column, cause I signed up with the wrong stupid email address. I have to go to my laptop. So well, it's like, we haven't, that's like a Substack thing we haven't quite figured well, out is the ease of, of dealing with how you can get subscriber only podcasts into your feed.
0: I have a confession. So when we were trying to do the forensics yesterday, trying to figure out why, um, it had not Propagated, it had not appeared the latest episode on the Apple feed. I did wind up someplace that said, You know if you want to you if you want to do extended episodes, you can go, but you got to build a platform and I was leaving the house, and I didn't build the platform, so I will look into that. Maybe it might be possible is what I'm saying might be possible and and if we have a smart listener that knows if it's possible then let me know because uh, this for me is like, it's like me trying to do everything with my left hand and one eye open. I'm not super good at it. So.
1: Wait till I get my boyfriend. Yeah,
0: please. Okay.
1: The next, uh, listener mail is from, it is about the Stephen Elliott interview. Um, it's not signed. So, um, but okay. Oh no, I'm sorry. It's signed listener in New Hampshire. Have you ever okay. been to New Hampshire? Sure, of course. Why do you say of course? It's tiny.
0: Well, no, because when you live on the east coast, all these states are very close to each other. Like yeah. it's not like driving from Texas to Utah. It's like you it's, it's like another 40 miles from wherever you are. So yeah, I've been to it. That's I've true. All, I hiked I states. hiked
1: a little leg of the Appalachian Trail in New Hampshire. Um and I stayed in this little cabin that night um, with a bunch of college kids and a family that was also hiking the Appalachian Trail. And I think it's called the White Mountains. I can't remember. Um, okay. This is what Listener in New Hampshire says. This is about the Stephen Elliott interview, by the way. Mm. Holy shit, this interview. I was really moved. Stephen seems like a complicated and difficult person, but also it seems to me that sometimes it takes a difficult person to, to do the really difficult work of standing against a tide of shitty public opinion. I'm impressed by him, and I'm glad he got paid, and I really enjoyed your interview with him. I screamed out loud at one point when he was describing how he personally confronted people who had thrown him under the bus. I love the podcast, by the way, having found it through the fifth column. Never heard of that podcast, but it sounds interesting, and maybe I'll check it out. Is it about architecture? It's about architecture. It's yeah, about Doric yeah. columns yeah. and Greek Ionic columns, columns. Ionic columns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's the fifth column? It must be some some chap named Matt Welch. He's the fifth column. And your marvelous piece about all the writing you were afraid to do during the Great Madness. She's talking to me. You and Nancy have such a wonderful vibe together, and I really enjoy your conversations! Exclamation point.
0: That's and this is really moving and touching, and I will say especially today has been a very odd day for me. We're not going to go into details, but this is very, very, very nice to hear. It's a very nice, um, it's a very nice intermission.
1: I thought her point about Stephen being difficult and that sometimes it takes a difficult person to do this stuff is is, is actually really good. It's one that we didn't make, and I think it actually uh, also applies to Taibi. And I think that both of those men are probably a little bit difficult, difficult, I'm saying with quotes around it, meaning that like, they're not for everyone who is, but I mean, you know what, you know what I'm saying? And, you know, that is one of the things that makes them controversial and people hate them for it, but it's actually the thing that makes them capable of standing up in this moment. And I admire both of them. I don't know either of them personally. You know Stephen personally. I don't. Yeah,
0: Stephen's been a friend for a while. I will, you know, Taibi is the son of a kind of a, you know, uh, ink-stained, wretched journalism guy—yes, old-school old kind of journalism guy. I've heard him talk about that, and so he's got a certain idea of what journalism is, and whatever his past holds, he's also just a hard-working dude. I mean, the, yes. this site works really hard. Uh, Stephen comes from a really, really rough upbringing. His mother was disabled; Then he became a ward of the state. Yeah, then he was on his own. He was on the streets. He was a—I think he was a, a, a stripper for a while. He—I think he had. Drug and alcohol issues for a while. Like Stephen has really hustled, like in every sense of the word in order to make it. And everything he built was sort of very much of his own devising. It wasn't like, oh, hey, I can go get an MFA and then maybe I'll get an internship at, you know, at Tin House. It's like, no, maybe I'll build this thing. I'll punk rock this thing. I'll do this in order to survive. And then he he became sober quite a while ago. I mean, I've known him about six years. He's sober and he just really, Stephen, He lost, okay, so first of all, in a sense, he had nothing to lose in terms of like, I know how to do this, I build stuff, and what does Stephen do now? He like finds ramshackly houses and he builds them and he rents them out, like he's really building stuff, and like with his hands, okay, not just like, oh, I'm going to be some like landlord flipper, right? I actually stayed in one of his places in New Orleans when I passed through there in June 2021, but um. He really, in a way, even though he did lose his publisher and most of his friends and his book deal and a million other things, he really had nothing to lose. It's like, Mm -hmm. fuck, I'm going to try this. I believe this is right. And, you know, I think not just our our wonderful listeners that agree with that, there were so many people that believed he was right. Per usual, it's the sort of, you know... 2%, 2%, or if I've just finished listening to the last, um, episode of the, uh, witches of, um, oh. the witch hunt of J.K. Rowling. We'll maybe talk a little bit, bit witch, about that the later. The witch
1: trials the of The witch JK trials
0: Rowling. of J.K. Rowling. And, um, another name nobody knows how to pronounce. No. Um, but, but, um, really talking about the breakdown of, 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 of what sorts of people are really complaining? And it's really, it's really a small amount of people. I yes. mean, in, 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 in Rowling's case, she's like most, you know, most trans people are kind of like, yeah, they there are people, they have jobs, they have families, they do this, they're not particularly political. And they're definitely not calling for people's heads. Or I mean, you, oh, oh, my God, have you listened to the fifth episode?
1: No, not yet. I'm. Oh, on, I'm I, I've I've gotten a four and it's friggin' fantastic, but I haven't done five yet.
0: Okay, we're gonna. I'll wait listen then. to
1: it before we do our next episode. How about yeah, that? It's, and then um, we'll just talk about it on that.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's um. It is. I will just tell you. I've. I. I won't. I won't say any of the things that were said, but they really. Um. The producers, Andy Mills, and and also the um. The 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 host, they they went back and they looked at you know the thousands of comments that had been made um about. JK Rowling from angry people. um, very angry with her. I'm not going to quote any of them directly, but I will quote something that I saw a number of years ago, which I've said on this podcast before. It was someone who crept onto Twitter a couple of years ago and said something like, well, I don't know. I really do think there's biological differences between men and women. And the response, one of the responses was, I will cut down, I will cut off your mother's head and shit down her throat. And it's like, okay, so there we go. So that's that's sort of that that was deemed a commensurate reaction. However, I will say in the episode, and we'll we'll talk about that at that time. They really go into the reasons why Helen Lewis does Helen Lewis, who wrote who of the New guru. We got to have her the on the Atlantic. pod.
1: She's so interesting. Yeah, she's
0: amazing. She really kind of drills down into why people might have these reactions that they do and why they might feel that the way they do. And it was really, really interesting anyway for the next episode. Um But what, but if you haven't, if you haven't checked it out, go, go check out the witch trials of JK Rowling. It's um it's, it's illuminating and it's terrifying Um and it's happening right now. So it's, it's worth listening to.
1: Before we leave that other email, yep. which was, it was a listener from New Hampshire, but I happen to know it was, she was female. So, um a, a woman a a, a woman a, a, i i i i'm going to stop now um <laughs> my point is i love that uh the part where she's like she screamed when steven confronted some of the people that had thrown him under the bus i know what she's talking about i did too she, yeah she's talking about this part where he, like he's because this is the thing about him right like he's not scared
0: or he is Three. weird, but he's going, he's just going to, he's going to say it anyway. It's like, what do I have to lose by saying it? What do I have to lose by confronting this person and saying, Oh, but actually, and when they go, no, no, I didn't say anything against you. I didn't, I didn't. And he's like, well, w- what's this Facebook post then? And they don't remember it. They don't have any memory of it, which is, do you believe that? Do you believe that they don't have any memory of that? I, no, uh, yes, I do. I okay. do actually.
1: I do, Um, but I I completely get why. Like, it just reminded me that I I was just watching the Jinx. Did you watch the Jinx? I did. I got extremely angry at it. Uh, It's like I have so many thoughts about it. I'm gonna put it. We can talk about it next episode. Oh man! But there's a part at the end where they confront him, and I was screaming. I mean, not screaming, but I was just like, ah. Because I know exactly what it would be like to be Andrew Jarecki, who's the director, sitting across from this guy and showing him the evidence that I have that I believe proves that he is guilty. And, uh, you know, I just I found that fascinating, 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 fascinating. And, you know, where it takes place
0: a lot. Galveston, Texas. Uh Oh, yeah. You sent a picture, didn't you? You sent me a picture.
1: I did. I sent you a picture of the Robert Durst house because Robert Durst went to Galveston, which is one of the the, the New York Times writer who I, I mostly really liked, but I thought his comment about Galveston was a little harsh by half. He was like, Galveston is where people go when they want to disappear. And I was like, or live their life. <laughs> but
0: I but no, but I I kind of get it. I kind of get it. I, I travel a lot of places and I'll be driving a bit like wow, if you never wanted anyone to find you, I wouldn't have picked Galveston. Often I'm driving through like upstate New York, some weird area. You come to this little motel in the middle of nowhere. I'm like, well, no one will find you here. I mean, Galveston
1: Uh, is where you want to go if you like want to disappear within an hour of a major city and also with a pleasure pier on a boardwalk within walking distance.
0: I have a non sequitur question for you, Sarah. Perfect. Do you ever have the fantasy of just dipping And no one is ever going to see you again. Yeah, 100%. Me too. I mean, do you ever sort of just... You know
1: what's really messed up is when I was was going through a really hard time about a year and a half ago. And I was on a project that I didn't think I could complete. And I was like really freaked out about it. And I just had all these fantasies of disappearing. And I actually had this fantasy of going to jail.
0: Oh, uh, well, if I did go to jail, I'd like to work in the laundry.
1: I just thought like, because then everything would be taken care of. And, you know, so it was interesting to, to hear Aaron, my new buddy, tell me about the starvation part. Cause I hadn't thought about that, but I was kind of like, I just wouldn't have to worry about anything, but of course I'd miss my cat a lot. So I can't do it.
0: And if, but then you wouldn't have to take Ozempic if there was starvation, it's going to be the best weight loss program. Oh, that's, so on this podcast for, for, for Ask a Jew, I guess they were saying one time that it was like, you know, at least the Holocaust was very slenderizing. Look, I didn't say it. Okay. It was, I did not say <laughs>
1: that's it. A, that's a Joan Rivers kind of joke.
0: It is. Oh man. I was trying to find a great Joan Rivers uh, actual clip for our last, um, for our last episode, but I couldn't I couldn't find a good one of just like her some of her quips on the red carpet. But yeah, the the disappearing. So when things get kind of I don't know, if I get in a certain mood, I not only think about it, but I think about like how I'm like, there's gotta be a service in New York City where you can call them and say, pack this up today. Pack gotta it up. Be. I don't either like either put it somewhere or get rid of it. I don't care. Uh, then you gotta obviously get rid of all your electronics, you because they will find you. You have anything beeping, they're they're gonna find you. So you've got to get rid of all of it. And then where would you go, right? I already know where I would go, and I already told the person that I that I'd we re- I'd convene with that I might show up one day at her doorstep. But the only person I would tell would be my daughter. That's it. You're not the even edge. gonna tell me. Nope. I would no. This is a different. I, this I've been thinking about this for years before I met you. But I'm I'm here now. I know, and this may really complicates things. Oh, but Jesus uh, Christ, yeah. <laughs> no, oh my I, God, I'm going to bring Nick a, from the
1: UK to replace you. It's
0: a default fantasy for sure. And and I have friends that know this. They like they're like, you're not doing that thing again, are you? I'm like, I'm not doing it. I'm just telling you that it's very it's a, it's attractive, but
1: I, I you know, that re- thing, that thing that the, the New York times writer said about Galveston. I mean, I was a little bit harsh on him because the truth is, is that I <clears throat> met this one guy. He goes by the name of Fishhook, and he's a commercial fisherman. And I was talking to him while we were having a SIG down by the pier. And I go, well, how did you get to Galveston? And he goes, well, I was running from the feds and I needed to disappear. And he, so he, burned everything he had, like his cell phone, everything. And yeah. he, he went to, he went to Galveston and he became a commercial fisherman. He he goes out on those boats five months out of the year.
0: Yeah. It sounds like an eagle song. I was running from the feds, I had to burn everything I had. Um, that, okay. guy,
1: that guy was a total eagle song. Okay. Um, I have another letter. It's by a reader named Seth. And I don't know if I'm allowed to say people's last names. So I'm just going to not yeah, say people's yeah, last yeah, names. Yeah. Okay. A few random things, Colin. I really enjoy the podcast. Even my wife is becoming a fan, which is saying something, since neither of you is a mass murderer or TV fireman. <laughs> That's a little bit presumptive. Slightly presumptive. Which one do you want to be? I am a TV fireman.
0: Oh man, that means I gotta be the mass murderer. I'm not with I'm not down with this, but okay. I think part of why you guys resonate is geographic.
1: My wife and I grew up in New York. lived most of our adult lives in Los Angeles. Currently live in Austin, and our daughter lives in Portland. Damn, he hit all our hot spots. All of them.
0: Wow, dude. (laughs) So lots of touch points. I wonder if he's the one that asked me to check in on his daughter. Someone's like, "Oh, cute." Maybe maybe when you go to Portland, you can check in my on my daughter. Kidding. Not really. Anybody
1: whose kid is in Portland is going to ask you that question.
0: All right. But more importantly, the thing
1: I appreciate most about both of you is your commitment to complicating things. That's right. It's a brave stand and an admirable mission. Please don't lose that. This is my favorite mission. Mission style is my favorite position. That was a joke that made sense in my head. Mission Missionary. And then when I tried to say it, it didn't make any sense at all. I'm going back to sleep now.
0: Um complicating things, yeah. That's a I think you have to. It's funny, um, the past couple of days as I started on this podcast saying I've been, I'm just like all Portland all the time. And I have to be super careful. You have to be super careful because of course my timeline is on Twitter is going to start filling up with maybe more negative stories or more negative videos. And and those videos are true. However, let me go check Portland Business Journal. Let me go check in with my friend who now lives in uh, Oregon city. Like what's happening here. And then I get conflicting. Okay. Conflicting is fine. I can have conflicting opinions, but trying to balance it. So you're not bringing your message on the tip of a spear and trying to overexcite people. Um, But I think, and especially when you do that, when you do write, you can do it or talk, you can do it with some sense of probity. Like I actually have been looking to make this more complicated and now I can tell you what I'm seeing. And if you want to push back and give me more information, that's great. But, you know, I feel, I feel pretty confident as opposed to, you know the cherry picking sort of stuff. So thank you. That's a very big compliment. I appreciate that.
1: He says, please don't lose that. We won't. Not losing it. Nancy. Okay. A request. Oh God. Which I made early on in a comment, but which I'm sure you don't remember. Can you please talk about Kathy's site? S E I P P.
0: Oh, Hey.
1: Hold on. She was a real beacon for me when I first got online and began discovering interesting voices. I was living in LA and working in Los Feliz adjacent. So I sort of feel like I was there with you guys in the late nineties, early two thousands.
0: Well, you were. Hey, what, is there a name? Is there a name there? Seth. I told you. Oh, Seth. Sorry. Hey, Seth, I would be super happy to talk about Kathy Sipe. So Kathy Sipe uh, was a few years older than me. I knew her sister, actually. I'd done some theater with her sister when I was in my mid to late 20s in LA and had a baby and started reading scripts for a living and then really wanted to be a journalist. And I didn't know how any of this worked. I would write articles and I would um fax them because this was the days of fax machines, right? It was now the early 90s. And I would fax them to like the LA Times or to the LA Weekly or to Los Angeles Magazine. And nobody ever answered me. Well, obviously, because that's not how journalism works. Finally, someone did answer me. I get a phone call and she said, hi, Nancy, this is Catherine Seip. I got your article. It's good. What do you want me to do with it? I said, well, I want you to publish it. She's like, okay, this is not how that works. She told me how journalism works, which is you sell the idea and then you, you know, they accept it. You pitch the article, they accept it, then you write it and they they publish it and pay you. She was at the time at, I think she was already at Buzz Magazine. Buzz Magazine was like the really cool city magazine. I wound up a um, a columnist there pretty quickly. I was lucky. My big story on John Wayne Gacy wound up on the cover of the LA Weekly and I all of a sudden had a career. Kathy was very smart, very funny, very, very opinionated and intolerant of many things. She was also sort of the center of this group of journalists. Um, a lot of them women journalists. Those are the ones I met first, and that would be Sandra Singlo. Um mm, Amy, I like she, her. I've never yeah, met her, she's, but she's, she's funny. She's a good friend. She was at Buzz too. She was a she was a columnist at Buzz as well. Um Amy Alcon, Monica Kokorin. Um, me, Hillary Johnson, a bunch of others. We used to have breakfast w- or once a month, once every two months at the farmer's market, which is down on Fairfax. And we would just take this long table. It would just be like a nice kind of gossipy catch up, uh, deal. Um, she was also friends with like lots of dudes. I didn't necessarily know them at first, but one of them was Matt Welch. She was good friends with Matt Welch and his wife, Emmanuel, um, who I met, I think I met after I met Matt and I may have told the story here already. I was sitting with, so Kathy, let me back up a little. So Kathy, I believe it was around 2002, maybe, um, Kathy, uh, had a cough and she'd always had asthma. And she went to the doctor and she's like, I can't get rid of this cough. He's like, well, let's, let's give you a chest x-ray. And he mm-hmm. gave her chest x-ray and immediately walked her down the hall to oncology. And um she had lung cancer, Um never smoked, but you know, this happens to a lot of people. You don't have to have smoked or been as- exposed to asbestos to get lung cancer. And she had it and she really didn't want anybody to know. I think she told five people. I was one of the people. Amy was, Emmanuel was. Uh, Sandra was and um we kind of formed this thing not at the beginning but later on called Team Kathy when she kind of needed more help but before then she kind of changed her life she kind of had like frizzy curly light brown hair she she lost her hair in the chemo mm-hmm. and then when it grew back she kept it very short and platinum blonde oh, and cool. she went into absolute overdrive she had a blog Kathy's world which was read by a gazillion people. She started writing tons and tons for different magazines and newspapers. Mm. She started hosting, um, hosting uh discussions, panel discussions up at AFI, American Film Institute. She started, con- she continued to have parties and she really, re- hand to God, became the absolute white hot center of this journalism community. Exactly. Mm. As Seth said, we were mostly around Los Feliz. And then, um, she several times, like she she's okay. Kathy survived for five years. All oh, right, wow. with this with this lung cancer, which she was not supposed to. She was up for there were some experimental drugs, and her insurance company were like, "No, we're not going to let you do that." Oh, hi, Kathy wrote an uh, an opinion piece for the LA Times saying, "Oh, hey, here I am, the mother of a teenager. I'd really like to get this," and they're telling me no. Oh, they gave it to her. I think she did that twice, so she got two different experimental things, which kept her. Alive for quite a while. Um, then Kathy got sicker. I moved up to Portland. She was getting Mm -hmm. pretty sick and I came down in, uh, 2005 and spent a week actually sleeping at Matt and Emmanuel's. They were, they lived a few blocks from her and then caring for her during the day. She was, (laughs) she was really sick at that point. And, um, I mean, is this going to sound terrible? And I hope I'm not going to get overcome here, but. It really wasn't. So I'm down there and it was not just me. It was me and Matt and some other people. Sandra were like, we got to have a party. She, Kathy always had the parties. She was the one that had the parties at her sure. house. She had this big backyard and, and a nice porch and, and a good, pretty good house for a party. It's like, we're having a party. I cooked all day. People brought stuff. Kathy was already really sick. She was actually on morphine and there was a nurse there. Oh, I should also say that during my visit with her so she'd have to go to the hospital and get her lung drained because that's what like it gets really painful when you have lung cancer but being in the car was so bumpy and it hurt so much and i'm like hmm. all right how hard can this be to drain a lung so i learned how to, i drained her lung which was good practice for me because i had to drain my my ex's lung when he had lung cancer anyway we decided to have a party and of course everybody came Everybody came. There's like 70 people. Kathy is sitting in this chair in the living room with the nurse there. She's, she's stoned out on morphine and everybody, it was like, okay, well, the Titanic's going to go down. So we better drink everything, blast the music, dance, kiss, scream. Matt and I tried to fix the stereo. We knocked it down. She like woke up like, what's happening here? But it was this big night where everybody who loved her could be together and be around her. And, um, I, I, realize I'm talking more about her death than her life. Kathy was a brilliant writer. She wrote, she wrote a column. She used to write a, a column under the name Margot McGee, I believe for Buzz Every Month, just skewering the LA Times. She mm. was fabulously, she was so loyal. If she loved you, you were just in, but she would also cut you. I was at a big, um, buzz magazine, but they used to have this like big fancy contributors lunch at Maple Drive every month. And I was about to go to Las Vegas, um, with my sister in law, Hillary and her little boy and my daughter, because Vegas was now becoming, um, was becoming child friendly. It was like 1990. Six or something and Kathy shot across the table. That's a sin. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> and I didn't wind up going. Anyway, doesn't wow. matter. Kathy did, um, uh, Kathy did die and when she died, uh, it was kind of a big deal to the point where, and I know this sounds so sort of, I don't know, silly or petty or not important, but we were so, Everybody knew her and was so engaged with her, and she had been such an online presence that I believe she became like the number two most searched person one day on Google. And we were just so proud for her, and mm-hmm. we miss her. Um, but I gotta tell you, she she brought together what I think I think it was Matt Welch termed the unlike minded weirdos. You had the serious liberals. You had Andrew Breitbart. You had Roman Gen, who was the Russian caricature from the LA Times. You had people that were like very, very um Hasidic. You had people just like this crazy, motley assortment of people that loved her. And she said to me at one point when I was with her, because our daughters were about the same age. Maya, her girl, was a year older. And she said, Nancy, you can understand, you know, she was leaving her daughter. This has been always the worst thing. You're, You yeah. have no control over it. Yeah. And she said, I know that you can appreciate. It. And I said, yes, I can. And she said, you know what? I don't understand. I don't understand why everyone is being so nice to me. I hmm. said, yeah, Kathy's total fluke. Yeah. Just, you know, who knows? Anyway, that's Kathy. And, um, I'll try to find a great picture of her. There's a fabulous picture of her sitting in the back of a limo, hmm. uh, interviewing when she was quite young and gorgeous, uh, the designer Bill Bloss. And I will, I will try to find oh, that photo cool. because it's really a good one.
1: She was forty nine when she died in two thousand and seven uh, and oh, was it that's...
0: seven? Wow. Then I must have gone down in two thousand six. So I'm getting my years wrong. I apologize. No, it's but, okay. Okay. Um
1: she I was looking at pictures of her while you were talking. She has, you know, quite a radiant spirit. Um one of those women that just sort of seems to glow. So
0: and arresting, arresting light eyes with the, with the yeah. dark hair, yeah. just very, very penetrating eyes. Anyway, we'll find some nice, we'll find some nice pictures of Kathy. So um, thanks for asking, Seth. I appreciate that. It's, it's always nice to get a chance to talk about her. Yeah. And it's really cool too when somebody that,
1: you know, used to have like a really big footprint in the journalism world, but maybe it was a little bit before social media. It was a little bit before the internet. Becomes the internet. And so, you know, you can find her on Wikipedia and stuff like that, but like a lot of the folklore and and mythology that you just shared, people aren't going to know. So I think you're going to bring, you know, that's how we keep each other alive. That's what I think of as life after death. Um, although I'm also starting to believe in ghosts. That's a different story. Um, Seth keeps going. Thanks. Keep up the great work and don't worry about the coughing. It's part of your charm.
0: Well, I don't know about that. Um, I, I also still haven't found the mute button, but um, I'm not coughing today and I have no frog today. So I don't to tell you. You need to find that mute button. You know where it is. It's
1: just on the, like it's on the little panel where our names are. There's a, you know, there's a button that says camera, one that says microphone and one that says toggle raise hand. And then the middle one is the
0: mute button. See, because I initiate these, mine doesn't have any of those, but that's Got okay. There, okay. that's all right. Okay. Let's
1: keep going. Mm-hmm. Do you like this? Mm-hmm. I like it too. This is from somebody whose name, whose last name I have permission to use. It's from somebody named Larry Kamer. And he writes, what I love about your podcast is that it delights and pisses me off at the same time.
0: Yeah. I was waiting. I was like, we gotta get some negative letters in here. We gotta get some like girls go screw yourself letters in here. That's good.
1: I did a podcast pre-pandemic and understand just how hard it is to keep things interesting, let alone thought provoking. Can I offer a perspective on Taibi? It's influenced by many years of working in the political trenches. What made Democrats like me so mad at the guy? was his seeming ignorance at being used as a blunt instrument by Jim Jordan and some of his insurrection-denying-everything-is-Biden's-fault Republican colleagues. A lot of the anger you heard from Plaskett, Goldman, and others was their way of saying, how can such a smart guy like you allow yourself to be such a dupe and be so self-righteous about it? Was some of their language over the top? Sure. Sure but nothing out of the ordinary for the show trial masquerading as a congressional hearing that we saw last week. The way I see it, Taibbi wants to dig deep into a story that depicts collusion between social media companies and the federal government. This, to him, is a serious threat to free speech and the right not to have your communications monitored. Great. I've worked with reporters a lot over the past 40 years, and I get that news is often what a reporter thinks it is, even if it's baffling to the rest of us. The Twitter files is, in my opinion, not the big deal that Taibbi Weiss and others make it out to be. It's a story, sure, but it doesn't pretend the downfall of the republic. I especially admire Barry Weiss for what she's building and her commitment to decency and conversation. And I get that she and Taibbi did their jobs when a source like Musk offered them such a juicy story where I part company with her is their reporting revealed a lot of people like Yoel Roth, just trying to do their jobs in impossible circumstances where pretty much every decision was lose, lose. And I've yet to hear Barry condemn Musk and others for their actions that led to threats against Roth and his safety. Nancy. You made the point in the last podcast that a good reporter needs to bite the hand that feeds her sometimes. So I guess the issue is that Weiss, Taibbi, and other journalists I respect have to have a little more self-awareness, especially when they're being used as pawns for some powerful jerk's agenda. That's what undercuts their credibility. Smoke them.
0: Well, I agree with some of that. I would say I don't find... Taibbi to be whatever the word he was that he used sort of like on his high horse or something like that. I don't find Taibbi to be that way, but I can understand how some do. I also do think it's a little squishy. I mean, look, if, 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 uh, Elon Musk had come to us with the Twitter files, I would have, I would have accepted or with all this Twitter information, I would have accepted. I would have invited the smartest people I know. I would have invited Moynihan and, and Welch and, <coughs> <Nicky>. <coughs> Jake Siegel. I said us, Doofus. They'd come to us, yes, stop with the coughing. Um, Uh, uh, come to us and 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 maybe Jake Siegel from Tablet, maybe a few other people that I know, and say, let's let's really look at this and present it because it is absolutely you are absolutely opening yourself up to saying, Why are you doing this guy's work? And especially when Musk, who I think is, you know, a very, very fascinating dude who's created some, I think ineluctably fascinating yeah. you know science and 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 means of um of transportation for us still it's a little squishy i mean sarah i don't know if people know this but you know how many times you get emails from people saying either it's from like a pr person or yeah. it's from um or it's directly it's like write my story write my story i really want nancy to write my story and it's like you know what That very, very, very rarely works out because they always have a reason why they want you to write their story. And I don't feel comfortable with that. And I have many times some of my best stories I walked into as a journalist believing I was going to investigate a story that was this thing. And it turned out to be something completely different. Hundred percent. So, but, you know, to
1: to to defend Taibi, you know, sometimes the person that writes you and says write my story has a goddamn good story, and you'd absolutely. be an idiot not to to take him up on it.
0: I told you I would take them up. I would have taken the, the 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 information in a minute and I would have surrounded myself with people that would have made it more complicated. Now, I'm not saying that they have done a, a I think they've done a great job presenting the Twitter file. Some have been more interesting to me than others. Um, I think some of it is extremely valid. I also believe that there's reasons why um, the Democrats or different members of government would not want these things to be uh, hold as much water as they seem to be holding. Um, but uh, anyway, I, I agree with his point. I understand that I think what he wants is a, a, either maybe a little more skepticism, maybe mm. on the part, or maybe just at a certain point, yeah and I, I don't know though i don 't know how you closed that door I mean they got the information the way they got it what what are they going to do and you know also musk has not, has occasionally behaved kind of badly you know he has has said things about people that he he shouldn't have said on twitter like he's 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 kind of he's kind of been he's kind of incited the mob sometimes and that's that 's not good like you can't you can 't do that you have to try to keep things cooler and sometimes I think sometimes Musk can be hilariously funny, yeah. but he can also say some things that he has to actually walk back later because he looked like a buffoon for yeah. like making fun of that one guy who was paralyzed. It's like, dude. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway.
1: You know, um, the name of the podcast that Matt did before he does, did America this week was useful idiots. And the idea was a critique of media that are, are being useful idiots for, you know, that's, that's a, that's a reference to... Isn't that like a Russian? I don't know. Yeah, I don't either. I, we're, we're not smart enough. Moynihan no. would know it. Uh, Tybee would know it. Kern would know it. We'll I think have it is, them on the podcast so
0: they can tell us what useful idiots means. I think it is Russian. I think it is.
1: Yeah, I think it's basically when you're doing the work of the government. Um, yeah. And, you know, so he's going to be particularly attuned to that role, I think, you know, Larry's perception is that he's walking into this a little duh, 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 duh. and I don't think that's true. I think Matt, I would definitely not judge him based on the congressional hearing alone because he was pretty muzzled. And I, you know, I would look at his work on his Substack, which has been pretty... Yep fascinating and prolific and deep. I think it, you know, in conversations with Walter Kern, I think, you know, he does tease out the question of like, you know, who is this Elon Musk character? Like, they don't know either. And how do you handle it? Like, it's not just, I don't want to bite the hand that feeds me. It's, I don't want to fan the flames. So, you know, it's, it's like, what do you do? When there's a bull in a china shop, do you just get really quiet or do you push the bull? And, you know, I I don't know the answer to that. I don't know what I would have done if I were in Taibbi's, you know, position and Musk were, you, you know, was fanning the flames for Yoel Roth, which I think was wrong. I think it was flat out wrong. Um... But I, it's very easy for me to armchair this one. I, I can't imagine the pressure that they were under. I think Tybee has done a really admirable job. You know, but in terms of who's playing a pawn for who, and I don't know much about Jim Jordan and I'm sure Larry's right about all this congressional charade and, and, you know, these, some of these guys that are, that are insurrection happy. I, I will take his word on that. I, I don't know those people. But what I'll tell you is why are there working journalists who are making their brand that of tearing down Matt Taibbi. You want to talk about useful idiots.
0: I I agree. And I you've got a
1: million followers and you're going to spend your day tearing down the guy that would like to actually speak truth to a little bit of government power here. And whether you agree with him or not, he's doing something interesting and he's in your goddamn profession. So why are you, you know, trumpeting basically government censorship and you're a journalist.
0: I, uh, I got a, a email the other day asking, uh, for the high school I went to if I would donate a book or donate a, a free subscription to my Substack or something like that. And I said, sure, no problem for their fundraiser. I said, sure. I said, but you know what I'd really like to do sometime? I'd like to, cause these are high school students. It goes from, you know, K through 12. I'd like to come in and talk to some students about journalism and what it is. Um, because I have a feeling that in the past however many years and, you know, like, like, like journalism has always been pristine. Of course it hasn't been. There's always been people that are, you know, kind of, you know, sucking up somewhere or they've got a certain beat. But I think the journalism that we practice is not that. Um, it is speaking truth to power. It is complicating stories and it is not advocacy. And that is a big thing that that I think a lot of uh young journalists believe it is. And I would love to just go in. I sort of have this fantasy of myself standing in front of a whiteboard and asking these young people like what's journalism and then like making columns of what they're saying and then putting a big X through what what one of the things they say is, which is like, you know, you have to pick a cause and and but I was like, well, yeah, no. So anyway. Um,
1: like I've told you before, though, I mean, I, I I like this idea, but like I've told you before, journalism is belongs to the journalists, and so you know wh- how we define it and what it becomes is really is really out of our hands in some ways. Although I th- I think you and many others push back on me when I say that you don't like it.
0: Well, um, I just it, I said it's a republic if you can keep it. It's journalism yeah. if you can keep it. Look, yeah. if the world decides, if the world decides, we love journalism that is basically one organ speaking in one voice and then another organ and speaking in one voice and then they just fight, but they're really being paid. Like I'm going to talk about how great Oreo cookies are, by the way, I'm paid by Oreo cookies. Then I, okay. I just-
1: I just think that the history of journalism is so much more checkered than I think a lot of these kind of noble explanations takes into account. I mean, look, everything before Woodward and Bernstein is basically like journalists are like in bed with the government. Like, you know, Taibbi and and Kern were talking about this, like the Kennedy... Crew that would go around, and they would, you know, they would never write about his affairs. We know that, but they would also never write about the fact that he got amphetamine injections every day. Like they just wanted to be part of the crew. When you go back and study the journalism of the 1900s, the 1910s, it's fiction. It's unbelievable. and This is Citizen Kane stuff. So our whole idea that journalism is this noble cause, this is all post Woodward and Bernstein. It's I think it's a blip in the history of journalism. I think his journalism is a is a basically like a profession for fabulous and hucksters and outliers and we came in at a really good time and you know we're going to hold on to what we believe is the old guard but the truth is that that lies and fabulisms have always sold it's a hoax profession
0: well i we can also do it differently if see we want to do it differently we can create this one arm of journalism and we are all right next letter if there's another one
1: i wanted to say one more thing yes ma'am um you know, Larry makes the point that a lot of the Twitter files feel esoteric. I, I would agree with that. They're over my head. And, you know, Matt Taibbi talks about this being the most important, um, story of his career. And, you know, it, it's, it's hard to know. Like, like, it's kind of like asking a writer what's the best story of their career. Like, I remember asking David Sedaris his favorite story and like, he has like 20 really, really famous stories and he told me this really random story from Me Talk Pretty one day. And I was like, okay, I didn't even like that story, but that's just what he thinks is his best story. You know, we're not always the best, you know, uh, critics of ourselves, right? But let me just say that, like, you know, I didn't live through Watergate. I was born when Nixon resigned, August 26, 1974. I think it's the day Nixon resigned. But a lot of people thought Watergate was super esoteric. They thought huh. it was super esoteric yeah. and it didn't matter. And if you watch all the president's men, it's basically these two guys that are fighting for why the hell do we care what's going on? This is all, con- you know, creep and, you know, what is Watergate and all this stuff. You know, it's, it's over people's heads until it takes down a president.
0: Well, right. Okay. Well, I will say I was not aware. I mean, I was old enough when Nixon was was voted in the the second time. And I know that he won with like just this incredible landslide. I will say I was alive and cognizant. And of course, I was a New York City girl, kid of liberals, New York Times and all that. So that was the world I was in. Yes. However, I can tell you. It was pretty big news. It built. Maybe people didn't it care built. at all at the beginning. It built. It built to the point where we, like, I remember watching his resignation. Like, that was a television of moment. Of course. By, was, the by the time he resigns, by the time he resigns, it's right. huge. I'm just telling right. you, right. there were years, years
1: when yeah. people did not care about that story. and And well, they're fighting for space on, like, page, you know, 14 or whatever. And nobody cares. Stories don't always start out as blockbusters is my point.
0: I watched a little short documentary, which actually fell asleep the last five minutes of, but it's a little 40 minute documentary about Martha Mitchell, who was the, um, the wife of John Mitchell, who had been, uh, he had, I think he'd been just in some kind of business, no lawyer. And then he became uh, Nixon's campaign manager. He was his closest confidant. And then uh, Nixon tapped him to be attorney general. But, but John Mitchell's wife was not gonna was not a quiet gal, and she started to make waves. She was like big on the party circuit, and then she started to talk about things. And then they they drugged her in a hotel room. It was a big. Yeah. I'll, I'll put a link to it. I think that's my hot box actually. But I'm sorry, I fell asleep in the last five minutes. But um, Mitchell actually resigned um, um, because he it was like you're gonna have to choose your wife for your president, and he, he chose his wife.
1: Yeah. I have one more, one more. One last letter. Is there anything you want to say to our readers before I read the last letter?
0: Uh, I want to say that I look forward to doing this every week. I would like to say... I love getting your letters. We love hearing from you. I would like to say to remember, because this is the free episode, we do have, besides about the one or two episodes we drop a week, um, we also do specials on Fridays. Sarah drops her smoking diaries, which is, it's, how long do you talk for usually? Like half an hour?
1: Nancy, I did 50 minutes the other day. Like I, somebody was like, do you plan out these things? I was like, is this so clear that I do not plan this out?
0: <laughs> um, and then she writes something like long and expositional and there's pictures and there's videos and stuff. I do something on Sunday mornings, which is designed, it's called Pie Talk. It is designed for you to like, while you're making your cup of coffee on Sunday morning, it drops at nine Eastern time. You can listen to it. And it's me talking a little bit. And there's a recipe, which I also include in written form, but I also tell you, well, I'm glad yours is 50 because mine this week is 11 minutes, which is super short. So um, we do that for you. Those are just a couple of little things. And we do our monthly Zooms first Sunday of the month. We do a Zoom. Um, so those are, that's what you're going to get if you become a paid subscriber, And I've, and we've, we've got
1: a lot of great interviews coming up. Yeah. um, Like solo interviews that I'm, I've got in the hopper and I don't know if I'm going to make those primo or not. I haven't decided, but you know, that's not another
0: incentive. And I'm also, I'm doing, we usually don't, I have another substack called make more pie or nancyrommelman.substack.com. And I am doing a series because I'm writing about Portland all the time. I'm doing a series of interviews, Portland interviews, dispatches from Portland. And I have been cross posting them here because, because it's audio and you guys are listening to audio. So those are going to come about once a week too. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of content here. Okay.
1: It's just, it's just a lot of content. Yeah, it is. The the last letter came directly to me, but I got this person's permission to read it on our podcast. Um, I did tell this person that it was a premium subscriber only. So maybe I shouldn't say their name, but their name is so freaking awesome. Well, don't say the it's last like,
0: name. Don't say the last money.
1: name. Money. Money is the last name.
0: I was going to say, I said, don't say the last name. <laughs>
1: Oh, I only said the last name. (laughs) Now I can't say the first name.
0: No, don't say the first name. Don't, don't.
1: It's a woman. Okay. And it's, when you put the names together, it's very unlikely. And so this begins, Dear Ms. Heppala, which I appreciate her starting with the honorific. Before I begin, let the record reflect, yes, that is my real name. I'm also probably the farthest thing from your target demographic a geriatric gen z calvinist that just like blows my, i don't even know what that means geriatric I, gen z that means I, she's like oldest she's older gen z and she's a calvinist
0: that's me older like oldest gen z no honey no no honey oh oh no gen z is later sorry i thought gen x sorry sorry you're so gen x, cute z, shush now <laughs> it's like
1: it's like gen z is like 25 this person sorry, is like yeah. 25 okay It's my firm belief that mid-90s babies, oh, maybe this person is 30,
0: or or
1: 28, 28 mid-90s babies, it's my firm belief that mid-90s babies are the forgotten middle child of the culture war. We were the guinea pigs of internet socialization. Both Chris Hansen and MySpace were given to us before we could drive a car, and our parents had cell phones without touch screens. Interesting. Do you remember Chris Hansen? Do you remember who that is?
0: one of the hansen brothers?
1: Oh, that's a you're adorable, you little gen z You little <laughs> you little geriatrics gen z or I think it's the guy from uh to catch a predator. I don't remember. Sorry. I think so. Okay. Um but you know, he he my space, he would do those like, you know, basically your kids are on the internet and they're going to be exploited by pervs, which was yeah. Totally true at scale. It's like completely happening. Um, she continued Ms. Money continues. Heterodox feminist spaces nevertheless have offered shades of understanding. Our collective conversation as women is not the addictive melodrama of my childhood or the flame wars of social media. Self-critical feminism asks questions of itself. Liberation was a false promise. And we're all trying to renegotiate the terms by using different dictionaries to define the same words. This is really deep. I mean, you know, I'm, 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 you know, liking what she's cooking. Do do you? Are you following? I am.
0: I am following.
1: Your voice, meaning my voice, among others, quietly asked the question: What the culture has done and is doing to us? You examine scars, starting with your own, and try to deconstruct where the wheels fell off the car. Thank you for that, even in the midst of what I'm sure are major disagreements. By the way, can I just say that uh, I read this really early in the morning when I read emails, and... And I, I read this like quietly asked the question what the culture has done and is doing to us. I was like, yes, that is what I do. I didn't even know that's what I was doing. I'm always looking for what it is that I'm doing. And I, I felt like Ms. Money was on the money there. <laughs> she says, I'm making my way through my memoir, your memoir after stumbling across Smoke Em If You Got Em. Parentheses, send my love to Nancy. We all have our horror stories and mine certainly bear a different shade from yours. I cannot offer my shoulder with a caring I know or me too. Yet I offer my gratitude for speaking with an honesty which my generation and those behind me need to hear about truisms we just accept without questioning where they came from. There are certainly lessons I've learned the hard way. You've simply mastered the art of vocalizing lessons learned. The grand question I have for myself is how does one preach a hard learned lesson without committing emotional bulimia? Of the trauma that got you there. I suppose if we had that answer, we could both retire. You may not be able to write your own legacy, but you can hear about a million small impacts. It's very kind. You've certainly made an impact in my life. Keep telling stories. Can't wait to read the new book you've been teasing on your podcast, Blank Money. P.S. Do forgive me. I'm one of the few, I'm one of the the Zers who hasn't touched social media since 2014, and given the state of it, I think I got out just in time.
0: That's a smart girl, smart Miss Money, yeah. uh, and insightful. At really
1: insightful. Age. Really I, insightful.
0: I will say. Um, so my daughter is 33, so maybe she's just a little older than this gal, and she's not on social media. I mean, is that right? Nope, she has a an Instagram account which she will post um, stories to, um, and that's it. She's not on Twitter. She's I think she has something from Facebook. She probably hasn't been on Facebook in I don't know how many years, um, and uh, she doesn't do TikTok. Um, yeah, they don't. They
1: there's I, a lot of them that don't do social media. But, don't. but because our media is increasingly and dangerously influenced by social media, it's like they become, that generation become, that part of the generation becomes invisible.
0: When I lived in Portland, I would say my best friends were my husband, my daughter, a guy named Josh, my best friend Sarah in New York, and a friend of mine, Dario, in San Francisco. None of them were on social media. Not one. Now, of course I have my journalism world, so, and, and we're on, you know, constantly, but they just don't, and it's not like they are like con- consciously staying off it. They just don't care. They just don't care. They've got other things that they're doing. And that this just like, it's just, I mean, think about it. 30 years ago or however many before social media started, we did other things, right? I mean, it's not like there weren't other things to do. And I think, I think being online is great, but they just do not. Um, plus my one friend can't because of certain security things that he can't because, um, but anyway.
1: Um, you know, it reminds me of a line that, excuse me, I was coughing. I did use the mute button,
0: you did but now I've come button. back
1: and I sound like I've been crying.
0: <laughs> oh my God.
1: <laughs> um, now uh, it reminds me of this line that Patton Oswald said once that he said, in the future, everyone will be offline for 15 minutes.
0: Jesse Singles offline. He's already off Twitter. He's off Twitter. But still, it doesn't, doesn't doesn't stop people from giving him worlds and worlds and worlds of shite. Ay, ay, Jesse.
1: I mean, look, we're we're transitioning into the cloud. We're we're sort of becoming a a society. Like this whole idea of is Twitter real or is it not real? It's obviously both. But eventually, as commerce and social worlds, you know, are centered in the metaverse or online or whatever it turns out to be. There really won't be a question of whether or not Twitter is real or not. It will just be simply where people are. And then there's going to be people that are outliers and, you know, in the same way that like some people didn't use electricity. Some people didn't use cars, but like there's no question where this culture is going. Um, it's, it's going that way. You don't have to go with it.
0: Yeah. But Sarah, what percentage of Americans are on Twitter?
1: It's not that huge. No, it's not that huge. But, um, but the, but the people that are using Twitter, have megaphones that are affecting all the institutions and the media, and that That's has true. a gigantic That's impact.
0: That's true. Um, that was the last letter, was it not?
1: That was, for the, today? That was the last letter for today.
0: Do you, do you have a hot box for us this week?
1: Well, I'm going to put the jinx in it because I really, really thought that was fascinating and And I, I, it's six episodes, and I watched them all back to back. I, I came home from Galveston, and I was completely wrecked. By the way, I'm getting like it's getting, you know, because I wake up at three thirty in the morning, and so when I'm driving back, I had a four and a half hour drive. I had to pull over into a truck stop and sleep for an hour.
0: Well, it's okay.
1: I know, but if I die in a truck stop, will you avenge my death?
0: Well, if it's a Bucky's, sure. What if it's not a Bucky's? I'll think. I'll think about it. I think it Jesus up. Christ!
1: You're not going to tell me where you're dipping to, and you might not avenge my death if it's not in a Bucky's. you I cannot to- sleep in a Bucky's, girl. Have you seen those fucking parking lots? I know we were fighting at the
0: time, but like we, you cannot sleep in a Bucky's. Okay, okay, all right. Um, well, my, my hot box is just going to be the, um, the Martha Mitchell one, whose name I can't remember. It's a little short. There's, there was actually the big Julia Roberts. There was a movie, a feature film that came out, I think last year, starring Julia Roberts as Martha Mitchell, but it's not that one. There was a 40 minute documentary. I also came back from someplace exhausted. I was like, I want to watch something short. Oh, watch this. I, I lasted 35 minutes, but you know the ending.
1: I got um, so into The Jinx that when it was done, I immediately watched All Good Things, the Ryan Gosling, Kirsten Dunst fictionalization of the Robert Durst story that hmm. Andrew Jarecki had done before he did The Jinx, which is why uh, Bob Durst was willing to talk to him because hmm. he found him sympathetic.
0: Hmm. Well, I had a very different feeling about The Jinx, but maybe we'll... Well, let's talk about it next time. Okay. All right, Sarah Hepla. Uh So this is a freebie for everybody. Glad to have you here. Uh, do consider becoming a paid subscriber, and we'll see you soon.
1: We love you. Smoke them.